If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, we're in chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, this is God's word. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring, rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, 
servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Darius was the ruler of the Medes and Persians. If you'll recall from the end of the last chapter, they had taken over. The kingdom of Babylon was no more, even though things were going on in Babylon. They were now under the rule of the Medes and Persians, and Darius was the king. Darius set up 120 folks in government. I just, it, it just fills my mind with awe to think of a government that only had 120 people in charge. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just 120. And then over those 120, he set three. And they were the ones to whom the 120 reported. And Daniel was one of those three. But it doesn't matter how big a government is or how small a government is. It's people. And people are a mess. And the other people found out that Daniel was about to be put in charge of the whole thing. Darius was so pleased with Daniel, he was so much better than the other guys. He, wasn't, he was initially just assigned as one of the three, but he was a standout. And so the king was going to put him in charge of all the others, and the others didn't like that. So, they tried to find something that Daniel had done wrong, and they couldn't. Imagine if somebody was out to dig up dirt on you, if somebody was trying to find something that you had done wrong or that you are doing wrong, and they couldn't find a thing. It was 
typical, it was tradition, that after you served a year as the chief surgical resident, they would have a, an outgoing dinner in your honor, and they would roast you. They would somehow make fun of a couple of your little eccentricities, a couple of your faults, etc. And usually that was pretty easy for the guys at Mass General Hospital to do. My brother Bill was the chief surgical resident one year. And at the end of the year, when they went to roast him, the only two things they could find to make fun of was that he was always on time, punctuality, and that he was always well-dressed. Now, folks, if that's the worst thing that people can say about you, is that you're always on time and you always look nice, I'd say you're doing pretty well. Daniel was a guy in whom they could find nothing to criticize, and they said, if we're going to find something on him, it's going to have to do with his devotion to his God. And so they went to the king with a plan and told a lie. And the lie was, we've all agreed this is what you need to do. What's, what's we've all? Listen. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree. Was that truth or lie? Absolute lie. But they had to lie in order to get what they wanted. That didn't turn out real well for them. As you'll recall, they became cat food. And people who lie now in order to try and get their way, need to know that God promises twice in the book of Revelation when he describes who's going to end up in the lake of fire. He gives a list of folks who are destroyed by God's wrath. And there's only one group in that list that gets special emphasis. Liars. Those who practice deceit. I'd say in that case, we ought to take it pretty seriously. God hates lying. So they lied to the king, and they said, all the administrators, well, Daniel was one of the three, and he was really the preeminent one, and he wasn't there for this because he, of course, would never have agreed. But they said, we've all agreed that the king should issue this decree and enforce it. And they knew that the government of the Medes and Persians was a government of laws, not just man. And if something was a law, it couldn't be overturned. So for the next 30 days, no one is allowed to pray, except to the king. If you have a request to make, it goes to the king. This was a way of exalting the king, making him look supreme. No king is supreme. No government is supreme. We've talked before about the fact that God requires us to submit 
to those who are in authority because all authority, Romans 13, comes from God. But we've always emphasized when we talk about this that no one, no individual, no group of individuals, no government, no one has authority to command what God forbids or to forbid what God commands. If somebody tries to get you to do something that God says is wrong, the answer is no. No. Well, but they're an authority. No, not at that point they're not. If somebody's trying to get you to do something that is wrong, they have no authority to do so. And likewise, if someone is trying to forbid you doing what is right, they have no authority to stop you. None. It doesn't just diminish their authority, it voids it. They don't have any authority to require what God forbids or to forbid what God requires. Got it? Our founding fathers actually operated on that principle, some of whom did it out of faith, others of whom just did it because they didn't like the king of England. But there was an understanding that when he continually violated his word and their rights as supposed citizens of Britain, they didn't have to keep putting up with it after appeal failed, an appeal failed, an appeal failed, they believed that they could say, okay, that's it, he doesn't have authority over us at this point. And you and I need to remember that because we live in a world where most people have no regard for authority. But many people, if the authority has muscle, if the authority threatens my Safety and security, well, then we need to do what they say. We, we, we need to do what they say. All of a sudden, people get very compliant when they believe that they're going to suffer if they don't submit to authority. Daniel is a model for us of how to respond rightly when the authority does wrong. King Darius was duped. He was fooled foolishly into signing this decree. He should have known inherently that it was just wrong and it was an appeal to his ego. But precisely because it was an appeal to his ego and all the guys he'd put in charge, except Daniel, were asking him to do this, telling him this is what you need to do. We're all in agreement all the administrators have signed off on this. Now we just need your signature. Come on, let's do it. This is a great idea. We all think so. He should have said, where's Daniel? But he didn't. Daniel was the guy who he wanted to be number one. Where is he? Uh, well, I, all these other guys are here and they all said that they've all agreed and that it's 100% so... Who am I to say no? Well, he was the king, that's who. He should have said no, but he didn't. He went along with it. And Daniel found out about it. 
Daniel said, by golly, I'm not going to submit to that. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell the king, there's no way that I'm going to go along with this. Is that what he did? No. He just kept doing what he'd been doing all along. Do you want a summary statement for today's devotional? Keep on doing the right thing. Keep on doing the right thing. Don't wait until it's illegal and then say, well, we, we, need, we need to pray. We need to pray now. Well, what if the government tells us we cannot preach the gospel? How much are you preaching the gospel now? Before many of you were born, there was a case in Alabama that got national attention. Judge Roy Moore had put a copy of the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. Because Judge Moore understood that our laws are ultimately derived from God, from God's law. And that God's law supersedes everything else. He also understood that the voters of Alabama, the majority of them believed that. So he had this monument to the Ten Commandments in the courthouse, and some demonized ignoramus decided that that violated the separation of church and state. First of all, separation of church and state is not in the Constitution of the United States. It's been generally accepted for quite a while now, but not because that's what our founders said. They appealed to God in the Declaration of Independence, and last time I checked, the majority of state constitutions appealed to God in the preamble to their state constitutions. People named their cities and put scriptures on their town seal or city seal, honoring God and his word. Corpus Christi, Texas is the body of Christ, Texas. Okay? I mean, this country was saturated with faith. Not everybody was a Christian. But even people who weren't Christians understood that that was the consensus. People did bad things, but they knew they were bad. They didn't try and defend them as being okay. Well, I thought Thomas Jefferson talked about the separation of church and state. Thomas Jefferson assured a group of Baptists that they would not be persecuted by the new government. And the Bill of Rights promises that Congress shall make no law respecting, which means concerning, an establishment of religion. In other words, the government's going to stay out of it. You can worship as you choose, or not worship at all. In that sense, there is a separation of church and state, because the church is not the state, and the state is not the church. But let me tell you something. When that demonized nitwit raised the issue of 
the Ten Commandments statue in the courthouse in Alabama. The courts wrongly decided that, yeah, they need to get the statue out of there. It's not okay. And Judge Roy Moore was defiant, not going to give in. Well, many Christians were very upset. And pastors across many parts of this country were very upset. And a friend of mine who has had a long history of asking important and awkward questions began going around to pastors and saying to them, what do you think about the Roy Moore situation? And they said, oh, it's deplorable. Not, not having a copy of the Ten Commandments at the courthouse, that's just deplorable. And then he asked a follow-up question. Do you have a copy of the Ten Commandments here in your church? Uh, well, um, I'm sure, I mean, you know, we have our Bible, of course. Well, yeah, but do you have a... Do you have a posted copy of the Ten Commandments here in the church building? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure we do. That's a, that's a, that's a good, good question, Charlie. Uh, uh, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to look into that. And then he asked another question. Can you tell me what the Ten Commandments are? Hardly any of the pastors could tell them what the Ten Commandments were, even out of order. You see, if somebody tells us we can't have the Ten Commandments, who, who are they? Who do they think they are? But what are we doing with the Ten Commandments? Do we even know what they say? Much more importantly, do we obey them? For us to expect an increasingly pagan culture to respect our faith, we need to have some. We need to have faith. So Daniel didn't start praying three times a day in defiance of the decree. Daniel simply kept on doing what he had been doing. These other folks knew that he did it. That's why they chose that. They knew he was a man of prayer. Would that be said of you? Do your enemies and your friends observe that you are a person who prays? Not because you go around saying, okay, excuse me, I have to pray for a moment. But simply because if they spend time with you, they're going to see that that happens. We talked about when I was a kid, my father wearing out his pants in his knees before he wore them out in the seat. His dad was such a man of prayer. He began to have trouble with his knees and he went to the doctor to see what was wrong and the guy said, uh, have you been refinishing a floor or something? And dad said, no. Why? He said, well, you have what we call washerwoman knees. It's a phenomenon we see in, in people who are down on their knees all the time cleaning floors. And dad said, oh, okay, well, I guess that's a hazard of my profession. And the guy said, what do you do? He said, I'm a pastor. 
And the doctor got my dad to buy a little foam pad and kneel on it. Do we have to kneel to pray? No, you don't have to. But Daniel did three times a day. Why? Because it's a reminder that we're not coming to place an order with God. We're coming and bowing before the king of the universe who rules over all. And so Daniel simply kept on doing three times a day what he'd always been doing. Look at verse 10. Three times a day, middle of the verse, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. These men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king. They said in verse 13, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He, he still prays three times a day. Notice the wording. He still prays three times a day. Not he's started praying three times a day. He's just keeping on doing what he was doing before. He's keeping on doing the right thing. And so, the king was distressed. But he had to keep his word. And so, he went and he gave the order to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And he said in verse 16, The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. In verse 20, he called out to Daniel after that horrible night of no sleep. He said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? That's the goal, folks. That's the way we're supposed to live. We don't serve God when it's convenient. We don't serve God when it's going to make us look good. We don't serve God when it feels right. We serve God continually. He's the boss. He's the ruler. And amazingly, he's our Savior. How remarkable is that? That the God who created the universe, the God who rules the universe, when all of us have messed up, chose to take the punishment we deserve so that we could not only be forgiven, but given new life. I mean, the drama of this story, quite remarkable. They throw Daniel down into a pit. And it is a picture. It is a picture of Jesus. Why? Why do you say that? Because they put a stone over the opening and they sealed it with the official seal. Does that remind you of anybody where they 
put a stone in front of the grave and sealed it with the official seal? Of course, Jesus. And Daniel, in a very real sense, was brought back from the dead. Because when you went into that lion's den, you were dead meat, as they say. And yet Daniel came forth, alive and unharmed. When they brought him out, however, there was not a mark on him. When our Lord arose after three days in the tomb, he still had marks on him. He's far better than Daniel, far more wonderful. And those scars do not lessen his beauty. They make him all the more magnificent because those are the reminders of what he did for us. He died for us and then conquered death. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. He spent the night in the lion's den. And Daniel answered the king, verse 21, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything. Wrong before you, O king. Daniel wasn't in trouble because he did something wrong. Daniel was in trouble because he did the right thing. He served King Darius, but he served God first. And that's the way we're to live. He didn't say, I'm not going to work for you anymore. He said, I'm still your loyal servant. O king, live forever. He didn't blame the king for being hoodwinked by all those officials. He didn't say, what were you thinking? He just said, you know, I have never failed to do the right thing for you, but I do serve God. God found me innocent, and that's what matters. I am so happy to report that I will be found innocent. Not because, like Daniel, I've always done everything right, but because the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to me. It is credited to my account, and you can be found innocent too. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And so, the king was overjoyed Verse 23, and gave orders to lift Daniel from the den. And no wound was found on him because he intimidated the lions. Because he had eaten a lot of garlic and the lions were like, oh no, I don't think so. No, the reason that he was unharmed was because he had trusted in his God. That's verse 23. So at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children, and the lions didn't even let them hit the floor. 
The lions had spent the whole night looking at Daniel and not allowed to eat anything. It doesn't say they didn't growl. It says they couldn't harm him. A lion is a powerful, powerful animal. Mr. Andrew and I got to go on safari when we were doing ministry in Kenya. And we saw lions, not in the zoo, but in the wild. And it was wild. And let me tell you something. Lions are not an animal you want to tangle with. This wasn't a lion. It was a den of lions. And one angel went in there and communicated to the lions, you leave him alone. And the lions were like, okay, got it, no problem. <laughs> they recognized a superior force. Did you know that God assigns angels to look after his children? The enemy may have all kinds of junk that he wants to throw at you. But God has an angelic army that is available all the time, not at your command, but at his. My father's prayer when we were going anywhere was, Lord, give your angels charge concerning us. What does that mean? It means tell them what you want them to do concerning us. That's a good prayer. An angel stopped the lions when these wicked liars were thrown into the lion's den. The angel was like, there you go. You were good all night. Now you're being fed. And the lions ripped those people to shreds, crushing their bones. You know, Pastor, that's kind of a gross, uh, violent image. It's in God's word. You and I need to understand that those who refuse to do what God says are going to face his wrath. And it's going to be a whole lot worse than the temporary death that comes from a lion. Jesus said, don't be afraid of somebody who can kill your body. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear the one who having destroyed the body can cast you into hell. And then he goes on and he tells his followers, now, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Because Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came so that through him the world might be saved. Is everybody going to be saved then? No, definitely not. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. There will be those to whom he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. But God makes it very clear. You do not have to fear going to hell if you are trusting in Jesus and in him alone. 
But if you're trusting in Jesus and in him alone, what do you want to do? You want to keep on doing the right thing. Serve him continually, not just some of the time. Don't just look to God for forgiveness. Look to him for new life. So King Darius issued a decree telling everybody everywhere, you better reverence Daniel's God. Still didn't know Daniel's God. He just knew Daniel. And he knew Daniel knew Daniel's God. We've made progress now from the Babylonian kingdom where they thought it was the spirit of the gods living in Daniel to now recognizing Darius was sharper. He was closer to the truth and he at least recognized there is this one God whom Daniel serves continually and that is the secret of his success. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much that these stories are not make-believe. These are not fairy tales. This is history, and this is your word. We believe your word because we know that you do not lie. And Father, I thank you for the privilege I've had at various times across the years to see you supernaturally intervene in order to do what could not be explained through human means. I thank you that you are still a miracle-working God, and when you choose to display your glory through some sort of miraculous intervention, it's absolutely awesome. But Lord, we know that you've told us in your word that we should expect persecution in this world, rejection, that people would mock us and despise us, and so grant that we would not feel somehow shocked or disappointed or betrayed when what you promised us happens. Grant that we would keep on doing the right thing. We will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.